The first kinna opens up with the word cheves. Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, Sheves, Sheves suri me many, our joy ceased, and our distractors said, get away from me. The word Sheves, says the Rav, comes from the word of cessation. It connotes a suddenness. It connotes as if it's unexpected. As we know on Shabbos, it says that God worked, and then Kivoshavas become Malachta, God stopped, God ceased. Something that to us humans, it's almost impossible to understand the idea that one moment the world is being created, and in a moment God stops, in a moment that we can't even pin down. God stops, and then it begins the Shabbos. The reason we can't pin it down, and that's why we bring Shabbos in prior to nightfall, because we don't know exactly when night is. We don't have the ability to stop in such a sudden moment. We can't pinpoint it, and therefore we give a buffer zone of Benashmashos, and even a little earlier than that. But the idea of Shabbos is it was unexpected. The destruction of the Chorban, says Rabbi Lezer HaKalir. Rabbi Lezer HaKalir is the author of many of the Kinos, many of the Slichos. He was someone who were unclear, unsure when he lived. There may have been more than one person who wrote with his name. Some say, the Tosfos say he was Eliezer, Eliezer the Great, Eliezer HaGadol from the times of the Tanayim. Some say he lived in the Middle Ages. It's unclear, it's un, it's, and there's what to talk about when he lived. But the Kalir is one of the greatest Paitanim. What he's trying to convey to us is that the destruction hit people suddenly. Because sometimes people expect disaster. God forbid, intuitively they know that something terrible is going to happen. Logically, they realize things are not going to work out. And as a result, when that occurs, as sad and tragic as it is, because it's expected, they experience it very differently than, let's say, a natural disaster occurs, a tornado rips through a town. And suddenly people are just throw, totally thrown off, everything destroyed. Someone suddenly dies. It's a very different experience. Yerushalayim, the destruction was Shevis. It wasn't an impending disaster, but it was sudden. And the question is, if you read through Yermiyahu, if you read through the Navi, when was Eicha written? At least one draft was written before the Chorban. The Jewish people received an, a mail, an email, with Eicha. For years, they heard Yirmiyahu saying, if you don't repent, it's the end. If you don't repent, it's the end. In fact, you look at our Haftorah of today. Literally, the Haftorah of today, written prior to the Chorban, is all about repenting. What do we say? Who is a wise man who understands this? And we go out and say, why will, the world, why will the land be destroyed? Made like a midbar, and on and on, so on and so forth. So much of the Nevi'im are about the impending destruction. And yet says the Kalir, Sheves, it was sudden. So sudden that if you look at the beginning in Eicha, we say, Lohaminu the kings of all the nations of all the lands. They were shocked. The nations of the lands in Babylonia, in Syria, they were shocked. They were thrown into a, a, a sudden shock of how could this happen? But it gets even worse than that. Yirmiyahu himself, the Navi, the prophet of destruction, we, learn, we read how God says to him, you have to leave Yerushalayim, go to your uncle, purchase a field. And so he does, he leaves, he leaves Yerushalayim. He goes, out to the, he goes out to purchase this field, and when he leaves Yerushalayim, everything is normal, everything is okay. The service in the Beis HaMikdash, the Avoda, the routine, the Kohanim, the Levium, everyone is doing what they should. Things are normal. And then, what happens? 
he comes back to Yerushalayim, he turns to Yerushalayim, and the sages tell us that he sees the smoke that was always emanating straight up from the, to the sky from the base of Migdash wasn't there. And this Pesukim described a shock that ripples through Yirmiyahu. He's shocked to find Yerushalayim was destroyed. He's shocked to come back to Yerushalayim and realize it's a Yerushalayim now devoid of the base of Migdash. How many times did Yirmiyahu literally say it's going to be destroyed? Yirmiyahu was in prison, thrown into jail. Because he came, he was the prophet of doom, and he said, Yerushalayim is going to be destroyed. Of all the people who shouldn't be shocked, of all the people who knew about this impending destruction, Yirmiyahu was number one, and yet he's destroyed. He's shocked. How can it be? He, often, he, was, he was the one who beheld the vision of the Chorban. He was the one who knew it was going to happen. He had every intention of returning from purchasing this field and going to the base of Migdash and bringing a sacrifice. And yet he's shocked. Sheves. There was this element of suddenness, of a cessation of joy in a sudden fashion that permeated the temple. In fact, Gemara and Gittin, one of the few Gemaras we're allowed to learn today, describes that when the Romans came to destroy the temple, it says there was a mountain, there was a mountain of Tormalka. It was a giant mountain, and it says on one side of the mountain, there were 300,000 men of the legions of the, of the Romans with drawn swords who entered one half of the mountain. And in a rampage of destruction and massacre, they murdered everyone for three days and three nights on this mountain. At the same time, says the Gemara, on the other side of the mountain, people were making weddings and festivities. And each did not know the other side. Can you imagine that? Think of it from a, you know, a drone's view right now, that we have drones. From the top of a mountain, you see on one side people, literally 300,000 people, massacred and destroyed. On the other side, people are dancing and singing. Could be the brothers, the cousins, the friends of these people. What's going on here? Says Ray Salvechik that those celebrating simply did not know and could not even imagine what was happening. It was never going to happen. Yermione thought it wasn't going to happen. Cheves. Cheves. Some things happen suddenly. We live lives that are designed to make us feel secure. We live with this illusion of predictability and control. We seek predictability. We design our ways, our lives in a way where we're able to neglect the very notion of the fragility of our existence. Our security, our health, our wealth, the material, the material items that we own, nothing can happen to them. We're impenetrable. We have everything set up, whether it's financially we're set up well, whether it's physically we're exercising. But there's an element of Sheves that's percolating beneath the surface of life. That we have this false sense of security, that the very notion of our lives and everything we own are okay. We're living in America. We feel safe. We're welcome. It's good here. We can make a life for ourselves. I can do what I want. We can act in ways that we want because it's a free country. And we're, we're all guilty of this. We may flaunt our wealth or our position in society. It's a free country. We can build these ostentatious homes, these gigantic shopping malls, in a way in which we show that our position in society is way above the people around us. But we forget that as much as it's a gift to be in America, as much as it, right now we're welcomed here, we're only guests. And it takes a moment of Shevis. Everything can change. A moment of Shevis. And everything can totally go down the drain. We have job security. Perhaps we have, we're, we're lucky. 
and blessed to have a job security. We've worked years for a degree, spent thousands of dollars on our education, honed our specialty, honed our skills. But what does it take? A pandemic changes the job market? AI can come in and totally flip everything on its head? Who knows? We have no idea. It can come in a moment of Shabbos. It's all be gone. We just finished the Haftorah. We said, Ko Amar Hashem, Al Yisalel Chacham B'Chachmasa. A person who's wise shouldn't get too caught up in his wisdom. A person who's strong shouldn't get too caught up in his strength. Don't identify with your wealth. There's a fragility to our existence. The wisest of men have met the cruelest of realities of dementia or mental illness. The strongest of men who have eaten healthy, exercised, slept well, did everything right can find out one day that their own cells, their own bodies are revolting against them. Money comes and money goes. As we're going to say in a few weeks in the Yom and the Rayim, we are nothing but a, sh- a broken shard, like grass dried up, like a faded flower, like a fleeting shadow. From dust we come and to dust we shall return. Sheves. It can happen so suddenly. There's a machlokas, and we've discussed this in other shirim in the past year, there's a famous machlokas between the Rambam and Ramban. Tzvila, the idea that we're supposed to daven every single day, a vodash of Is this biblically mandated or is this rabbinic? Is there a biblical command we have to daven every single day? What that looks like, the Rambam says it's tefillah once a day, the structure of tefillah, that's definitely the Rabbanan, or is it every day? The Ramban, Nachmanides writes, the mitzvah to daven is only based sorrow, in a moment of calamity. When the enemy is knocking on the door, so then we have to turn to God and call it and call it trust, and we have an obligation to cry out and call to God and say, please help and save us. The Rambam disagrees. Says to the Rambam, the mitzvah to daven is every single day. Mitzvah, he says, the beginning of the tefillah, to daven every single day. Again, how many times? Just once, but there's a mitzvah to daven every day. Rabbi Salavechik writes, the, the Rambam and Ramban are not arguing over the mitzvah to daven. He says, both Ramban and Nachmanides think there's a mitzvah to daven, the Sarah, only in a moment of calamity, in a moment when you're in dire straits, when the enemy is knocking on the door. And so to the Rambam, says there's a mitzvah to daven, only when you're based Sarah, in a moment of calamity. But says the Rav, the very existence of our lives is predicated on an Ace Sarah. There's an existential terror that grips the human condition. There's a Shevis quality percolating under the surface. We're born into a world full of pain, of suffering, of hardship. Today we're born, tomorrow we're gone. And therefore, says the Rav, the essential element of prayer is that a man feels the sense of helplessness, the sense that without this connection, without the help of God, without the kindness of God, we cannot exist. If God removes his presence of God, he removes his watchful eye from us for just a moment, we will be gone. Out of the depths of the human condition, writes the Rav, there is a primordial cry in the recognition of just how helpless we are. That without God, we are susceptible to Shabbos. Al Yisalel Adam B'Chachmaso, Al Yisalel Adam B'Gvuraso. What are we? We're a nothing. We're nothing. All we can rely on and lean on is God. There's a line in Tefillah, a line in Davin that really brings this home to me. We Davin for many things. Rabbi Salvechik writes, the point of davening, of asking for things, is not just because we need things, but through the very act of davening, it engenders what he calls a crisis awareness. 
we realize das. I may think I'm smart. I may have graduated with top of the class, gone to good schools. But das, where does it come from? What does it take to lose that? And therefore, davening for das, davening for health, rifeinu Hashem, engenders this crisis awareness of just how dependent we are on God. However, that's not the line for me, personally, that brings it home. It's not even Shema Koleinu when we say to God, please, listen to our prayers. For me, the, what brings it home, for me, at least my own davening, what I find so much epitomizes this idea of living with this existential need for God is tucked in the middle of Shema Koleinu. In Shema Koleinu, we say, We say, God, don't turn us away. However, if you punctuate it slightly different, and you read it, And in front of you, God, we're nothing. We're empty. For me, that really epitomizes this idea of without you, God, God, without you, all the things that I'm praying for, I'm not going to get. All these things are susceptible to Shevis. Without you, God, I'm helpless. Life is unpredictable. Before you, God, we are empty and we have nothing without you. Shevis, our lives are so dependent on God. It can change in a moment. It can change in a moment. But when we learn to lean on God, so then we learn to live with that insecurity, and even in, as Rabbi Sachs writes so beautifully, to celebrate that insecurity. When we look around us, there's another element to Shevas, another element to just feeling the inadequacy, the, the helplessness, and that is, I think, something in the, in the realm of an Adam lechavero, not just but Adam lemakom, learning to lean and have a dependency on God, learning to celebrate the in, insecurity, learning to be okay with the insecurity, because ultimately, we are lefanech, we are before God. But there's also an element of an Adam lechavero. When we look around the people around us. We sometimes, we can see people's financial situations. Sometimes even eye on their relationships, their wealth, their health. And it can sometimes appear from a judgmental eye that people's own predicaments are a result for their own disregard, their own irresponsibility, their own carelessness. Sometimes their lives are a messiness of their own making, of their own poor choices. But I think it's also helpful to remember that we all have moments of Sheves in our lives. Moments when we feel like we're in control, when we feel like we have it all, we're all together, we're all, we have it together. We have a plan, we've executed the plan, sometimes it's a plan that took th- hundreds of hours, thousands of dollars. We have the degree, we have the training, and then Sheves comes, and it all gets thrown over, on, on, on its heels. And perhaps when we look at others, we see others in a moment of their own Sheves. We see people who sometimes look like they made their own mess. We have to recognize maybe they too had it all under control. They too were living with the illusion that whether it was job security, it was health, it was wealth, it was family, it was all okay. And then they had their moment of Shabbos out of their control without not wanting to, but suddenly what they had all ceased. And that we have to look at them and recognize the little less judgment, the little less cynicism that it's out of their control as well. And it may look like a poor choice, but where did that poor choice come from? Was it they had all the confidence in the world, and then Sheves, a moment of mental health, a moment of someone shaking that confidence, and they lost the confidence, and that spiraled into who knows where, whether it's job security, it's health, mental health, and family. We have to recognize that ultimately we're not in control. There's a 
person who made Aliyah from St. Louis a few years ago named Joey Rosenfeld. Joey Rosenfeld's a therapist, but he also has become and is emerging to be a real, I almost want to say I'm a kubo, someone who's engrossed himself in the world of Kabbalah, who's teaching Kabbalah to people, to the lay person. He's a person who went to DRS High School, a modern Orthodox high school. I think he went to Morish Kolo. He went to Etzi Kolo. He was someone who grew up like us and is no, still just like us. Now he's a big beard. He's a therapist. He works with addiction, people who are addicts. For years he worked in the, in the prison system in St. Louis. And he said that he would often bring the Hasidists to them. He'd say, this is you know, the approach of, and he'd say, you know, the, the, the methodology of Baal Shem Tov. This is the methodology of the Kotzker. And he melds these two worlds, the world of Hasidus and Kabbalah and the world of mental health. He said a few years ago, and I, I know him, we have a lot of mutual friends, and I've been following him for years. A few years ago, he was, in a, he was not in the best place. And he went to Uman for Rosh Hashanah. And he was talking to an old, an old Breslover Chassid, Mashpia. And he said to the Breslover Chassid, I don't know what my direction my life's going, I don't feel like I'm in control, I don't know what to do. And the Breslover Chassid looked at him and said, This way or that way, you have, no, you have nothing. You have no control. He said to him an amazing line, the place where the believer and the atheist meet is the recognition they have no control. The believer who recognizes it's all from God and the atheist who says everything is set, set in place by, the, by our genes, there is no free will. The place where the atheist and the, non, and the, the believer meet is in, is in the recognition we have no control. He said, you have nothing. So lean on God. Lean on God and recognize that the only way to ride out the Shevest moments in life, the only way to really look at others with a non-judgmental eye is to, and to be a little more gentle and to recognize that so often people's choices are really a result of a Shevest that happened to them and one day can happen to us. That so much is out of our control is to remember and that if we recognize this, if we recognize our inherent and existential helplessness, without you, God, we're empty. Then we learn to lean on God. And when we lean on God, we also come to recognize and look at others with more of an element of a gentleness, to recognize that they too may be in a place they don't want to be. And that allows us to make space and room for their decisions in our life. The first kinah we'll begin with is Sheves.